to this podcast for the March 2022 issue for the Journal of Parenteral and Enteral Nutrition. My name is Dr. Kelly Tappenden, Professor and Head of Kinesiology and Nutrition at the University of Illinois at Chicago and Editor-in-Chief of the Journal of Parenteral and Enteral Nutrition, JPEN. I'm really pleased today to be able to discuss a paper entitled The Gut Microbiota and Its Diet-Related Activity in Children with Intestinal Failure Receiving Long-Term Parenteral Nutrition. I'll be talking with Dr. Esther Nalis, who is a pediatric resident at Erasmus Medical Center in the Netherlands. Welcome, Dr. Nalis. Yes, thank you so much, and thank you for the opportunity uh, to discuss our paper here. Oh, my pleasure. It's, it's a really important topic uh, and something that we need work like this in. Uh, certainly, we know that intestinal failure is, is a debilitating, long-term, life-threatening disease for children with intestinal failure and, and inadequate uh, intestinal function. And the gut microbiota is so understudied. There's just a handful of papers in the literature, mostly focused on children versus adults. But what's clear is that there's a very abnormal community of microbes in the gastrointestinal tract of children with intestinal failure. And it's been termed a lactobiota because of the over prevalence or the predominance of lactic acid bacteria. So picking up on that background, tell us what your interests were and and what you did. Yeah, so I totally agree that, of course, mainly uh, the microbiota has been studied in other gastrointestinal diseases in children, uh, for example, necrotizing enterocolitis or inflammatory bowel disease. Uh, But I think it's understudied in this group of vulnerable and chronically ill children. Uh, And we know that these children, of course, do have a lack of enteral or oral nutrition, uh, which might influence their microbiome. Uh, And we see in clinical practice that many of these children do suffer from bacterial overgrowth symptoms, such as abdominal distension or abdominal pain or vomiting. Uh, But the specific microbiome was not really well studied. And especially because the group of intestinal failure patients is more broad than only surgical intestinal failure patients. So children who underwent a surgical resection uh, of their small bowel. So in our study, we just studied the microbiome in the whole group of intestinal failure patients. So the whole group of intestinal failure patients, so also the patients with functional diseases, uh, such as motility disorders or also enteropathies. So I think that was just a new perspective looking at their microbiome as well. And the other interesting thing is to see if this microbiome changes over time and changes during the the progress of the disease or during the treatment we give them. Very good. So we know that the microbiota is really essential for a lot of physiological functions, development of the immune system, both innate immunity via colonization resistance, as well as cell mediated immunity, but also then support of the gastrointestinal tract, the epithelial mucosa. And one of the things there is the production of short chain fatty acids, particularly butyrate by these microbes, and how that may then be important for adaptation in patients with intestinal failure. So it's really important that these children have adequate amounts of butyrate produced by the microbes. But based on what you saw, these kids 
likely have inadequate production based on the composition of the community, right? Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so looking at their microbiome, we saw or we confirmed previous studies that they had a had different diversity and richness of their microbiome. Uh, and also regarding the, the different phyla, uh, they had an increase of proteobacteria uh, and a decrease of vermiculides and bacteriodities. Uh, but more interesting, when looking at the short-chain fatty acids, we found that the intestinal failure patients had lower total amounts of these uh, short-chain fatty acids than healthy controls. And more specific, they had lower amounts of butyric acid, which is known as the most important one uh, to stimulate gut function uh, in general. Uh, and when we compare the two different groups of intestinal failure patients, so the surgical ones uh, versus the functional intestinal failure ones, we also found profound differences, not only in their microbial structure, but also in the, in the short chain fatty acids. Okay, so the patients, the children with intestinal failure had less overall bacteria, the counts, the specific counts of the bacteria per unit intestinal contents, and they were less diverse, um, had less community diversity and richness, as we call it. Now, that then has implications consistent with what I mentioned earlier about this lactobiota, right? You found that both propionate and butyrate were lower in the kids with intestinal failure. And in fact, they made more lactic acid bacteria of both isoforms, correct? Yes, that's correct. So indeed, we found profound differences in short-chain fatty acids, but we also found like a tenfold differences in, in lactate and not only uh, L-lactate, but also D-lactate, which is important in these patients. Right, particularly when it comes to D-lactate acidosis that some of these kids are probably struggling with. So the other thing that I found very interesting is that these results were negatively associated with the amount of parenteral nutrition. So that the more PN a child was getting, the less microbial diversity and the less short chain fatty acids were produced. Uh, and it struck me that perhaps it's not so much the more parenteral nutrition that they're giving, but conversely, the less enteral nutrients or you know, nutrients in the lumen uh, that is having that effect on the microbiota and the short chain fatty acids that are produced. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think that's right. I think it's just the fact that they did not receive so much enteral or, or oral nutrition, uh, which is also uh, represented by the fact that fiber intake, for example, uh, was a main influencer of the microbiome. And uh, we also saw that the PN duration, so how many years these children receive PN, did also contribute to the community structure and the changes in the microbiome. So I do agree, it's probably more an effect of the lack of enteral oral nutrition. But in clinical practice, we, we often use the percentage of PN that these children receive as a marker to state how severe their intestinal failure is. So that's why we've chosen to use this term. Sure. Um, it, it really does underscore how important it is uh, in clinical practice for these children and adults with intestinal failure also to be fed 
orally or enterally if they have oral aversions and oral intake is insufficient. And that those luminal nutrients contain fiber. What kind of fiber is it that you're, you're using? Is it whole fiber from whole foods or are you supplementing a formula with specific kinds of fiber? Yeah, it depends a little bit on the, on the patient. Uh, most of the children receive tube feeding and some of the tube feeding is supplemented with extra fibers. And some of the children do receive small amounts of table foods, uh, which contains, of course, also uh, complex fibers. But the amount of oral nutrition that these patients receive was just very low. So most often it's just the tube feeding that they receive. Yeah. So when you say uh, enteral formula supplemented with fiber, do you mean a fiber containing enteral formula so that it's, you know, all in one? Or are you actually supplementing specific fibers into the formulas that you're giving them? No, it's an all containing formula. So we do not supplement uh, the tube feeding with extra fibers currently. Is there a particular uh, fiber source that you have a preference for or you recommend? Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I think we do not really know uh, which fiber would be the best currently to use. And I think that would be a really interesting future study, of course, to see if we could give these children extra fibers to see if the microbiome reacts to that. And also if the effect remains, for example, if we just withdraw the fiber again, uh, but also to see if these children do tolerate an, an extra amount of fiber because of course they do have many complaints of intolerance to enteral nutrition and they do often only tolerate small amounts of tube feeding or oral nutrition so that would be important to investigate as well I think. I agree extra fiber for certain but I think it's also really critical that we think carefully about the type of fiber uh, in that in individuals with intestinal failure, because their transit time is, is so quick, we need to make sure that we're using fibers that are rapidly fermentable. Otherwise, there isn't an opportunity for the microbes to produce butyrate, right? It, it will it will be expelled from that individual's gut prior to there being time for that metabolite to be produced and fermentation to occur. So I, I think we need to think carefully about the amount and the type so that we can help use that to correct the microbiota as your work implies. No, I totally agree. And of course, it depends also on what type of patient uh, we're facing, of course, if the patient has their colon or not, or uh, that all these factors might might influence the, the type of fiber and also the amount of fiber that should have an effect. Sure. If it's an ostomy patient, we need to be even more careful about using something rapidly fermentable because the, the time that those nutrients will be in the gut is precious. Um, and we want it fermenting in the gut and not the ostomy bag, of course. So do you have any final comments or take-home messages that you would like to extend to our listeners? Well, I think one of the other striking findings was that we did find that diversity increased and the community structure of the microbiome moved to healthy controls in the two patients that weaned off PN during our study. And of course, this was just only a finding in two patients, but I think it would be really interesting to study this in a larger group of patients from the start of intestinal failure onwards and to see if we see these changes as well in patients who will wean off PN uh, in the first years of life and to see if we could influence uh, this process maybe. 
I think that would be uh, that would be really interesting to see. It sure will, and that actually further underscores that it may not be so much the parenteral nutrients that are having uh, the negative effect on the micronutrients, but more the absence of enteral nutrients, right? Uh, if the, the correction is happening once they're off PN and starting those enteral nutrients. All right, for our listeners, I would like to encourage you to go to the March 2022 issue of JPEN and read the paper by Dr. Nalis and her colleagues out of Erasmus Medical Center that's entitled Gut Microbiota and its Diet-Related Activity in Children with Intestinal Failure Receiving Long-Term Parenteral Nutrition. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Nalis. Thank you so much. <laughs>